Welcome to What Christians Should Know, hosted by Dr. Elijah Sadoffel. This podcast equips you with clarity and meaningful answers about God, the Bible, and your Christian life. Now, here's Dr. Sadoffel. The date you will hear this is April 13th, but I am writing the script for this short on April 4th, 2018. This date is relevant because it is the 50th anniversary of the assassination of civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. The late Reverend Dr. King still has a profound impact on society at large, and it seems that over the past few weeks, whether I was reading a secular newspaper or listening to a Christian podcast, someone reflected on Dr. King's life. In this short, I will revere Dr. King's legacy by synthesizing his work with what the Bible says about race and the role of a Christian in modern society. The conclusion that I draw is not a conclusion that you might expect, and that conclusion is that today, many have forgotten why Dr. King championed the civil rights of the American Negro. As a result of this amnesia, we have confused Dr. King's core spiritual convictions that animated his legendary political work, but his political beliefs were distinct from his faith. Still, my conviction is that Dr. King's political reform was successful because of his faith, and that is because his political agenda was not grounded in naturalism, but was rooted in the transcendent Word of God. I will unpack what all this means and what follows, and my discussion will touch upon what the Bible says about race, the social gospel, and the prophetic voice of the church in matters of injustice. In the end, Dr. King passed away five decades ago, but his wisdom can still bring us back on track so that we may face the challenges of a new age and chart a bold course toward the future. First, we must embrace that God never ever separated people based on race. Race is purely a human classification system that superficially divides people. Biblically speaking, God uses one primary criterion for classifying groups, and that criterion is if you trust God or not. Thus, people are primarily divided into two groups, those who are for God and those who are against Him, those that are in the Church of Christ and those who are out. The Bible is crystal clear that ultimately it does not matter what you look like on the outside. What does ultimately matter is if you believe in your heart that Christ is Lord. Indeed, God does use a secondary means for classifying groups of people, and that is based on nationality or ethnicity. For example, the Bible frequently talks about Egyptians, Greeks, Philistines, Canaanites, Jews, and Hebrews, but never red people, black people, or white people. To further the point that race is artificial, even modern science provides supporting evidence. In Ashley Montague's 1942 book called Man's Most Dangerous Myth, The Fallacy of Race, the author argued that race is merely a social construct that has no biological support. This claim is supported by modern genetic evidence that demonstrates that when comparing different races of people, most of the differences in their DNA and proteins occur within a racial group and not between groups. This basically means that genetically speaking, brown people are more different compared to other brown people and are more similar compared to not-so-brown people. All of this essentially tells us that the presupposed racial differences are just skin deep and not much more. 
so, God created one race of people, and they are all human beings. How God created people should tell us something, that we only ought to be concerned with race when our interactions with it deviates from what God has ordained. And what has God ordained? Total racial equality by means of no racial distinctions. Consequently, if we stubbornly insist on dividing and classifying people based on race, we are not thinking like God. At the same time, if we stubbornly insist on dividing and discriminating based on race, then we ought to act to restore balance so that civilization aligns with the mind of God. At its core, racism is not one person looking down on another. It is a person who looks at God and says, what you made is substandard. At its core, racism has nothing to do with race and everything to do with idolatry. How does all of this relate to Dr. King? Because he realized that there is no way to cure racism if you just keep your eyes in the natural world. Racism is a spiritual problem, and the only way to cure a spiritual problem is to have your heart transformed by the supernatural power of God. And God will only use his own to be the human agents for change that he affects by his divine hand of providence. The modern concept of race is destructive of humanness. The term race in and of itself is divisive because it implies a competitive event. Even people who use politically correct terms use race-affirming language that is hostile. For example, let's say you saw me on the street and were asked, what race does Elijah Sadafel belong to? I would presume, based on appearances and given the standard multiple-choice options, that most people would probably choose African American. This would be my assigned race. But here's the problem. I'm American. I'm not African. God says it is perfectly reasonable to label me based on my nationality, but where does the African come from? I'm not American with an asterisk. I was born in Brooklyn. I was raised in Long Island. I speak English. I eat apple pie. I said the Pledge of Allegiance in school in front of an American flag. I can trace my heritage back to Scotland and India through the West Indies. I have never been to Africa, nor do I have any known relatives there. I'm not African-American. I'm American. You are not Asian-American. You're American. You are not Cuban-American. You're American. You are not just a black man or an American Indian woman. You are a human being formed in the image and likeness of God and are a member of one human race. What this all means is that there certainly is not a universal brotherhood of mankind because every human being is not an adoptive member of the family of Christ. But there still is a universal humanness of mankind and therefore a God-given universal assignment of innate human equality and the mandate for justice. The yearning then for social justice, according to Dr. King, was grounded in his biblical worldview, and that God-centered worldview became frustrated when the spirit of the age was doing what was right in its own eyes, but not doing what was right in God's eyes. This is where Dr. King's theological convictions compelled him to act in the political realm, but we have to be very careful because, as I said at the top, faith and social justice are not one and the same. This is what Dr. King wrote in New York Times Magazine in 1962. Quote, the nonviolent resistors can summarize their message in the following terms. 
we will take direct action against injustice without waiting for other agencies to act. We will not obey unjust laws or submit to unjust practices. We will do this peaceably, openly, cheerfully, because our aim is to persuade. We adopt the means of nonviolence because our end is a community of peace with itself. We will try to persuade with our words, but if our words fail, we will try to persuade them with our acts. We will always be willing to talk and seek fair compromise, but we are ready to suffer when necessary and even risk our lives to become witnesses to the truth as we see it. End quote. Dr. King realized that all dramatic change involves violence, but his legacy of peaceful protest assumed all violence on the self. He and all those who followed him took the responsibility to assume all the suffering their radical change demanded, and they assumed all that suffering so that others wouldn't have to. Dr. King also realized that, yes, the church and the state are two different realms, but God did not ordain the state to govern just so that God's followers could sit back and watch. This is why Dr. King acted, because nothing in reality changes unless someone actually does something. The Apostolic Church, for example, was not built by first-century Christians who kept to themselves and prayed in private. They followed Christ's commands and went out into the world. The Reverend Dr. King, equipped with sound biblical principles, took his marching orders from God and then stepped out into the kingdom of the world. That paradigm is very different from the social gospel of today that says faith equals social justice or the gospel equals political reform or that the church is responsible for racial reconciliation. Nothing could be farther from the truth. In a New York Times op-ed on April 1st, Georgetown professor and ordained Baptist minister Michael Eric Dyson wrote an article titled, We Forgot What Dr. King Believed In. In it, he reflected on what Dr. King did and called for the nation to live a specific faith that worked to defeat racism and speak out against war. He derided both the black church for being too complacent and the white church for being silent or apathetic in regards to racial injustice. He writes, quote, Martin Luther King Jr. was a man of faith who didn't mind making trouble for God. He believed his purpose in life was to bring justice to as many of God's children as possible while proclaiming the revolutionary power of belief. He believed that America must undergo a revolution of values so that it might begin to fulfill the mandate of the gospel to look after those who needed God's help the most. End quote. Gospel means good news, and the good news of the gospel is not that different colors will get along, nor that less citizens will be killed by the police. The good news of the gospel is that there is a way for sinners to get right with God, and that way is Jesus Christ. Truly, of what value is it to anyone if they gain anything in this world, whether social, economic, or political, what value is any of that if they lose eternity? Is the church mandated to preach a social gospel? The answer is a resounding no, and that presupposed mandate is merely meant to distract the church from doing what God has called it to do, preach the word of God. The church, by definition, preaches Christ and teaches the Bible. Any church that fails to do that fails to be a church. Now, with all of that said, there is a but. 
But I do not think God ordained government only for his followers to sit back and watch. If we want the world to be not as God-less and more Christ-like, then we must act and actually do something. Of what value is our faith if from that faith works do not proceed? Yes, we are saved by grace through faith, but faith without works is dead faith. This is not to suggest that faith must be directed toward the realm of politics or social justice. It means that genuine biblical faith must do something in the real world, and that something must be effective. Why must it be effective? Because faithful agents of God are being used by God as His agents. The faith cannot fail because God never fails. Reflecting on the time in which he lived, Dr. King once wrote, quote, The greatest tragedy of this period of social transition is not the glaring noisiness of the so-called bad people, but the appalling silence of the so-called good people, end quote. Furthermore, in an address before the National Press Club in 1962, Dr. King said, quote, Legislation and court orders tend only to declare rights. They can never thoroughly deliver them. Only when people themselves begin to act are rights on paper given lifeblood. A catalyst is needed to breathe life experience into a judicial decision by the persistent existence of the rights until they become ordinary in human contact. End quote. The only one who can save the world is Christ. The only solution to any problem is God Almighty. Naturalism cannot change the human heart. Legislation can neither change the heart. It can only restrain those without a conscience. God is the solution, and the drama of redemption reveals that God always uses human agents that act in our reality to effect lasting change. This is why the God-man, Jesus Christ, represents the most intimate connection of God with our reality. Jesus acted. He lived, grew, learned, taught, discipled, led, died, and resurrected. In other words, he did. What this means is that we, as Christians in the 21st century, cannot remain idle. The church will always do what God commanded it to do, worship God, teach sound doctrine, and cultivate the fellowship of believers. What individual Christians must do, however, is act. The cost of silence is for a godless worldview to reign supreme. The cost of inactivity is to allow the spirit of the age to enslave civilization. The cost of apathy is to allow the glaring noisiness of the so-called bad people to set the agenda for everyone else. Beloved, there is no magic in time itself. Time is only a resource that you can either waste or use effectively. If we want the world to know Christ and therefore be permanently transformed with a new heart and a new mind, then we must do. Dr. King was the catalyst that his generation needed, and he sparked the flame that ignited a movement that was saturated in hope. That hope was grounded in the timeless truth that although the arc of the moral universe is long, it bends toward justice. Christians do not need armies in mass, but what we do need is the unquenchable fire and power of a committed, morally sound minority to effect lasting change. The minority is driven by the unstoppable power of God himself. Our acting in and of itself is not valuable. It is made valuable by its object, 
Jesus Christ. Only he can do what men cannot. The Bible tells us that God uses those who are faithful, those who are humble, those who are committed, those who are skillful, and those who are purposeful to do God's work on God's terms in God's world, all for the glory of God. Thank you for listening. For more valuable resources, including a bookstore and online Bible study, visit wcsk.org.